Inchworm, inchworm, measuring the marigolds. You and your arithmetic, you'll probably go far. <laughs> Atlantic nitpicking about Doctor Who. From four grown adults who should probably know better. From four grown adults who are stuck in lockdown. We're not afraid to say it like it is. Or the word bollocks. www.dirtyhoers.com Follow us on Facebook at Dirty Hooers. If you like that kind of thing. We're also on Twitter. Deal with it. Geronimo! Fantastic. L on C. Cock. With your hosts. Number one assistant, Terry Lightfoot. Oolong, Sputter Sputnik. Tardis Kitty, Miss Cubby. Lord President, Sen. We should uh, probably be drinking shorts for this one. What? Hello, folks. We're still here, home educating, home working and home improving, making the best of our respective countries, indeed the world, mostly going to rat shit. This is way cheaper than therapy. This episode, we're going back to the Hartnell era and the often ignored planet of giants. Something of a flyover state of an episode. This is the first serial of the second season, way back in 1964. Interestingly, four years before Land of the Giants and nearly a decade after Incredible Shrinking Man. Make of that what you will. Packed with practical effects, environmental warnings and casual misogyny. William Hartnell is the first doctor. Caroline Ford is his granddaughter, the much underused Susan. William Russell, Jacqueline Hill is a couple of Shanghai educators from the year of the great train robbery. Oddly, three episodes, but originally shot as four. Then they had the last two edited into one in the hope that it might sort of work better. 25 minutes each. Written by Louis Marx, who's something of an unsung who irregular, with the likes of Day of the Daleks from 1972 and Planet of Evil and Mask of of Mandragora. Is it Mandragora or Mandragora? Mandragora. Is it? Yes, it is. I believe it was pronounced Mandragora on screen. I think they said Mandragora Helix, but I think they said Mandragora in the... (laughs) Anyway, anyway. (laughs) Yes. All relatively respectable, anyway, on his resume. Uh, produced by the awesome Verity Ann Lambert OBE, obviously, and directed by Mervyn Pinfield, who was also associated producer around then from uh, Unearthly Child to the Romans. He also directed Space Museum and Sensor Rights, uh, with help in the re-edit from Douglas Canfield, who did all sorts of stuff. Seeds of Dooms, Igons, some of Inferno, Web of Fear. He's the person who cast Nicholas Courtney as the Brigadier. Uh, he helped out on episode three in the this one crowbarring three and four together this is just before the brilliant dalek invasion of earth so this is susan's penultimate set of episodes and arguably she's not quite as useless and better written than usual uh 75 minutes of tiny tardis team traversing treacherous terrain overzealous businessmen pint-sized poisoning spurious science and an environmental mystery on a truly gigantic scale where the crew make a what the fuck have i written here where the crew make a only a small impression oh where the crew make a 
only a small impression. It's actually a noisy telephone operator and their Bobby Hubby that saved the day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They don't need to be there at all. No. It's like the first Indiana Jones film. Why is he even there? You know, the, the thing about that is if they hadn't have been there, then we wouldn't have had to have been there and everything would have been so much better. <laughs> Sam, would you please explain our rating system? I would love to. We base our rating system on the cost incurred for a 70s prostitute or gigolo. We begin with the free BJ, then the $5 whore, $10 whore, $20 whore, and the senator special $50 whore, with any amount of tips in cash or gifts in between as we see fit. See how easy that is, Terry? See how easy. <laughs> <laughs> Our professional does it. <laughs> Go on then, send us a rating. I'm nostalgic for the era, so I'll give it a five. Jeez, I thought Sen would be higher than that. I'm going to give it a tenner. I didn't hate it. I think a ten with a respectful tip. Bunch of hand-picked wildflowers. That seems appropriate Aww. and subtly 60s. That's I think sweet. there's a lot going on behind the camera in this one and a lot to talk about nonetheless. I'm with Sen. I'm going to give it a five, just a straight five. How marvellously mediocre of us. <laughs> <laughs> this is a fun one, folks. You may as well just go make yourself a cuppa now. Fuck this one off and just tune in for the next one. <laughs> you know if this was in color i would have felt like i was watching and reviewing a new series episode that's a horrible thing to say i know <laughs> hence my fiver it felt like premise without a plot and i know what an odd thing this is to say for the classic series especially hartnell and Troughton era but it felt like someone went wow here's some really cool special effects let's do these oh shit we need a story uh, there were some really sketchy shots with anything living you know like the yeah. cat stuff oh, like that but oh my god that whole sequence around the sink looked absolutely fucking brilliant um mm. just like i mean easy solution just build giant sets right i mean yeah. they just built it and they filmed in it it looked perfect because it but was even perfect. the sink chain the chain was fantastic yeah. i know it looked absolutely brilliant you know uh, the obvious sketchy shots that i keep going back to the cat because it was fucking abysmal um four dollars and 75 cents of my five dollars was to the effects which boy that's really something for the hartnell era but the rest of it was utterly useless with special emphasis on how completely useless barbara was Oh god. I mean yeah. Just and let's not even get into the just fuck science, throw it out the window. We don't give two shits. Not only are we gonna fuck science, but we're gonna have the doctor stand there for an entire scene and basically talk about how much he doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. It oh. seemed almost tongue in cheek. It was barely missing the wink in the camera lens where he said, Just don't ask. Go with us on this one. Yeah. I mean, oh my God. And it, it literally was like hey, you know what? I think we figured out how to do some cool special effects. Let's do them. Oh, fuck. Here's a story. Let's look really self-righteous. And, you know, we'll, we'll preach about, oh, there was that book about insecticides a couple years ago. Let's do that. Oh, God. And, you know, most Doctor Who from this era was the exact opposite of that. You know, they knew that their effects were shit and they leaned on good story. And this felt like Jodie Whittaker. <laughs> 
This felt like someone sat down and did some really pretty visuals and went, oh, fuck, let's write a story to go with that. Mm-hmm. That's- it's, it's a weird one because it, it's not an alien story or a time travel story, nor what we call a historical. It's, it's a moral story maybe, but it's obviously supposed to be a science story, I guess. That The science is just not strong. They fudge oh, a lot of it. Well, I mean, no. just no collapsing lungs or problem with their mass as well as their size disappearing into nowhere and just, oh. And, and of course, the <laughs> The fact that none of that happens means that the insecticide wouldn't affect them anymore. I know this is this is pretty much indicative of sci-fi shows around this time, that that science is ropey. But it's just not very coherent in this one. Um, no. I guess we're probably best. They, As you say, they seem to intimate, you know, just skirt around this one for now. You know, I mean, they tried to whole like Sorry, tiny what? vocal cords thing. I think that's what they were suggesting. Yeah. But I'm not sure why we wouldn't be able to understand Farrow and Forrester and Smithers because they were so loud and booming. Were they implying that everything could slow down and they'd sped up or something? Of course, what would actually end up happening in that situation is that they would not sound lower. Their ears simply wouldn't hear anything because the sound waves would be too big to pick it up. So they would feel vibrations but hear no sound. It wouldn't get lower. I mean, when it comes to science, I get that there are simply things we didn't know 60 years ago. But I'm pretty sure they knew that 900 years ago when the monks were singing. Okay? I mean, come on. Do you remember the whole, like, there was about a month in the 90s? where everyone was into Gregorian chants. Oh, yeah. What was that about? <laughs> I've always been me, into bye. it, so... <laughs> yeah, but you were like six in the 90s, Tubby. True. <laughs> there was just so much wrong with it. It was so hard to see past it. You know, you get in this mindset when you watch Twilight Zone and Doctor Who and even Star oh. Trek, where you understand that the concept of making television, especially weekly television, where everything is rushed, you understand that there's certain things you need to suspend You know, the special effects, really high quality acting just took more rehearsal time back then. You know, it was really hard to get that kind of immersive realism in a weekly television show, especially with the just unbelievable number of episodes they were filming in Doctor Who at the time. It's complete lunacy. Um, It it wasn't really a TV show. It was a stage play. I mean, there was almost no rehearsal. It was rare when anything was reshot. There was a a scene in this that was reshot, if I remember correctly, and that was extremely rare. But, you know, you're used to those things. I was taken aback by how inconsistent the storytelling was, how the characterization seemed like they were just plucked out of thin air. These were actors that we recognize playing characters, the women especially. I mean, Susan, you know, you did mention that she was arguably a little bit better, but God, I'm thinking about character progression in other eras that we find weak, you know, and I don't think any of us consider the Hartnell era to be weak, but when you look at the Sylvester McCoy era, which is notoriously ropey storytelling, Ace's character progression was fantastic throughout her. Yeah, this is between seasons, though whether you'd even notice and and she did get a lot of time with Gramps you know her and Gramps have some nice time before he locks her out of the TARDIS and buggers off in the next series yeah yeah mm-hmm. I mean Barbara's regression Ian's a science teacher and it takes him this long to figure this out I mean <laughs> honestly seriously Barbara's <laughs> fucking dreadful in this oh, yeah Barbara's she dreadful. really is it's her that's doing all the ankle twisting and yeah. God knows why yeah. she pretends to not be poisoned and how does nobody notice for so long don't get me wrong Jacqueline Hill is actually really good she usually is but Barbara's just a bit shit and I, I don't know why because I guess it wasn't Susan being lame for a change I think they were trying to do stuff with Susan so they pushed that lameness onto Barbara but she's all like help Stephen I'm so freaking weeble and just a woman which is just fucking tiresome to the modern yeah. viewer she damages herself on a paperclip for fuck's sake <laughs> I know <laughs> 
dreadfully it is, it's off. It's so jarring compared to how strong Barbara normally is. And she always had that streak where she was destructively independent. Yeah. She yeah. has no idea what the fuck is going on, but she insisted on doing what she wanted to do anyway. And that is so, as you said, jarring with what we saw here. I just don't think this was a good example of the Hartnell era at all. Really weak. And it was, frankly, the special effects. I can't believe I'm saying this. That prompted me to not give it a free BJ. There you go. I didn't despise it, but I didn't love it either. It was just kind of <laughs> like, oh. And because it's an old episode, you know, I was noticing these scientific inconsistencies and I was just going, whatever. <laughs> it's really old and I don't expect too much out of it. But really, there was very little story. And one of the problems that I had, scientifically speaking, is when someone said something about the molecules of the insecticide are really big and they're in her body and her body can't deal with i was like what yeah what yeah <laughs> it was just like what the fuck are you talking no it doesn't make any sense to me i don't know who knows i'm no scientist maybe that is no it was horseshit it was not horseshit okay it was horseshit i'm no scientist but i know fucking fucking smell horseshit when it's yeah. in my nose it, well that's what i thought i thought it was horseshit also another weird thing i had a problem was kind of disconnected me from the story when the guy comes and shoots that guy for no fucking reason <laughs> I just, he didn't even think it through. Like, I've been watching Dexter, so I'm just kind of like, dude. <laughs> Come on, have, have a plan. plan. What's the plan? Put sheets. Oh, my God. Get rid of the gun. To be honest, he's just a bit of shit, isn't he, Forrest? Yeah, <laughs> he's a bit shit. Yeah, and, bless him. Let's go. And he's, yeah. okay, he's supposed to be a businessman, but he is clearly not used to the world of industrial espionage, shall we say. <laughs> no. That, why didn't he just offer that guy a fuckload of money? Bob's your uncle. You I mean, know? it's a, I mean, a very unpleasant piece of work, but there was more jeopardy in someone pulling out a plug than there was from him. <laughs> <laughs> Who actually thinks that putting a fucking handkerchief over the mouthpiece on a phone is going to disguise their voice? They did that all the time in the 50s and 60s. I don't know what they're talking about. Like, yeah, why, well, why they didn't have CCTV. Was... It's probably how they made all the fucking arrests back then, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder how many idiots actually did what they did in the movies. And they, oh, I'll just put a handkerchief over the phone. The police will never know what was me. <laughs> <laughs> no, he fucking deserves it. But to be honest, though, that uh, but... exploding aerosol can's a bit woeful. You know, oh, that, yeah, 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 yeah. And they were not far away enough. So them, there was no distance between them. They would have died instantly. Not only that, think of all the compressed insecticide that was in that can all over the room, all over our TARDIS travelers. They would have been dead. Should have at um, least lost some fucking eyebrows. <laughs> the guy who played him is called Alan Tilvern. And I happened to notice, I haven't. I recognized him. I thought, I fucking know him from somewhere. And he was R.K. Maroon in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh. You see him in all sorts of tough guy roles in like a Danger Man or the Sweeney and UFO shit like that. I did love the sets. Some of the sets were fun. You know, I didn't mind that. Some of them were just photographic, right? I was like, okay, I get it. They had no bit. But I really loved the sink and the matchbox and the whatever. There was a sign. Remember there was a sign or something there? Beans or something? Can't remember. Sorted seeds. I watched yeah. the first part like a few weeks ago, so I don't even remember. Yeah, okay. seeds. Night seed scented stock. Anyway, so in general, you know, is that I just wasn't asking for so much from this old Doctor Who episode. I, I am used to using my imagination 
imagination, so I don't really demand too much out of it. And when it's good, I'm pleasantly surprised. You know? mm-hmm. But there's nothing to write home about. And I, I would even edit it down from three parts to two. Yeah, maybe. Like that mm-hmm. first episode was too slow moving for me, but whatever. I mean, I've got a modern viewpoint. Back then, I'm sure that was fine. How about zero? That would have been a good edit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Lord President. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, happy there, Madeira. Is there anything else? No, I don't really have too much to say. So, um, this is a special collection of episodes, I think, in many ways. Firstly, it's only three episodes. It was filmed as four, but edited down to three because it was a bit slow, even for a Hartnell, apparently. On my DVD, there's a sort of semi-retcon-looking version where they got Caroline Ford and Sir William of Russell to record the missing lines um, with a load of impersonators and, and shit and made up some footage and found old footage and stuff. I think it's better for being three episodes, to be honest. You didn't do much for it, seeing it again as four episodes. Mm. Around this time, TV was so bloody long-winded and stage-like, as Zen said. And there's just enough long pauses in this while they stare at stuff off-screen and uncomfortably (laughs) react to giant B-roll cats and shit. You know, there's, there's plenty of that in the three episodes. It doesn't need more of it in four. We talked about the science, and it's it's fucking shocking. But in Doctor to who science the sort of a precedent for this i suppose uh, I, was, I was trying to think where else have i seen this because four uses tardis technology he rubs some bits out of the tardis to shrink him and leela down for invisible enemy but we don't really get anything like this until i guess legopolis or flatline yeah. where they sort of mess around with the trans-dimensional and Re- the relative dimension stuff in TARDIS, you know, the actual relative oh, okay, dimension. Yeah. They play with the relative dimensions. Prior to Logopolis, I think this was the first mm-hmm. time. Interestingly, this is also a repurposed script that was originally pitched for one of the really, really early episodes in the previous season. I'm not sure which, but like really early on pre-Daleks and instead of the caveman stuff, I think, that early. Can you imagine what a different uh-huh. program who would have been if they'd done that? I'm not sure it would have survived this uh, I think someone, a fan may correct me on this, but I think it was slated to be third in line. It was supposed to be an unearthly child, the masters of Luxor, and then this. Uh, okay. All right. Interesting. I don't know. If, if this had been there, though, we'd have had much more kind of science peril potential, sort of like early Star Trek, you know? Mm-hmm. Then time traveling aliens, maybe it could have been a really different program. And honestly, I think it would have still worked, but all because of one episode moving to season two, you know, tiny changes in the timeline kind of thing. It's not meant to be. I think that's quite fascinating, actually. You've got to remember, this is well before the likes of that Erwin Allen one, the um, Land of the Giants, or like Micro Ventures. Do you remember that in Banana Splits or anything else in that yeah. sort of? There was, there was that kind of 70s style shrinking genre thing. Yeah, really, I've never abandoned that. Me neither, really. You know, we're going to turn you into a tiny little June buggy and you can roll around a garden. Never really interested yeah. me. But this uh, was inspired, obviously, as and briefly alluded to by a very famous book called Silent Spring uh, by Rachel Carson, who was a marine biologist and conservationist. And that was published in 62, a couple of years before she died. Now, my dad was massively into marine conservation when I was a kid, Cousteau and all that. I know he'd read this. It was on our bookshelf. They made a documentary about the book, too, which I watched. And it was basically a warning about the long-term dangers of pesticides. It was like a f- massive phenomenon. 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 
And it forced Kennedy into launching an investigation into the public health effects in the US and pretty much launched a modern environmental movement. Mm -hmm. It's funny, I always think that people think who is preaching now just bear with me on this it might be too obvious nowadays but it's always had a message and a story to tell that's part of the way it educates as well as entertains this is all common knowledge now back then this was fucking groundbreaking shit yeah, guess it's yeah. how you tell it don't get me wrong i really can't comment on the new series since 2018 i've not been following it maybe now you just get it rammed down your throat too much because we already know but you know the pertwee era and that women's liberation things like I, d- I don't know i think there was good stuff there i i wouldn't if the youth of today takes it in the same way we, we might have taken this or, or any of the, the great Pertwees. I would say it's the way it's told because you can say something without being patronizing. Some stories are patronizing and some are not. It's just how it's being told. I do wonder if there's a certain amount of it though, you know, where people are like, oh, he's going down in the cellar and the flashlight's breaking. But if you're watching Evil Dead, that's probably the first film where that happened and that was like, oh my God, the flashlight's breaking. You know, it seems to me that while television making may have been in, a, in its infancy, there's some basic tenets of human psychology that have been pretty well known for a long time. And if you're trying to explain a complex scientific principle to someone with major societal connotations, like the effects of pesticides, which at the time no one realized that they were harmful, <laughs> then maybe you shouldn't shit on science. It's okay that Doctor Who <laughs> shits on science sometimes, but not if you're trying to send a scientific message. Uh, no, I, I agree, Sen. Uh, uh, but the you know, there's also a lot of holes. There's not a lot of people who actually turn around and go, well, hang on, where's all the heat gone from them changing in size because their mass has clearly changed, which bugged me. That's mm. not going to bug a lot of people, to be fair. I hate to say it, but we're in a high percentage of educated people. With the greatest respect, I think if you've been to college in the UK and US, you're in like the top 10% of educated people. But at the time, Doctor Who was claiming to be educational. It's yeah, but not they're not going to delve that far. Out. No, that's true. Well, the BBC's supposed to be. But you don't need to delve into it to show it. You know, you don't even have to do a throwaway line. You do a big flash of white light as, as the TARDIS shrinks and someone says, ooh, the air's really hot. There, you're done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you don't have to be super accurate. You just have to show something. Right, yeah. Get the kids to ask a question. Why is it hot? Yeah. Mom's like, I'm not sure. Uh-huh. Ask your science teacher. And the science teacher goes, oh, yeah, let me talk to you God, God, about you conservation of energy. The Encyclopedia Britannica, all four <laughs> volumes of it. And have a <laughs> right? Seriously, though, I mean, there's supposed to be, there were so many wasted opportunities to spark curiosity. Maybe, yeah. You're right. Back to this. The props. Sorry. Yeah, no, never apologize for interrupting me. I hope that, I hope that when I'm being buried, you turn up and go, ah, excuse me. I think you'll find. Uh, the props are fucking outstanding as you said and i guess obviously they have to be because that's what this is all about there's not a lot of them and there are some very tight shots to save them having to make any more but Mm. black and white really does cover a multitude of sins and this and the average looking painted grass backdrops which were dreadful they get away with it the phone is really nice the briefcase is nice as I say, I'm not sure how Stephen has any fucking hair left charging at sandpaper with a match the size of a telegraph pole. But it was a nice scene. Loved the plug chain. And they, yeah, they really did make the, the most out of the whole sink prop. I thought Susan and her grandpa really bonded in this one just before she leaves. Those two are so good together. And Gramps is fucking on it in this one. He's mountaineering up four stories of drain pipe and running about. I mean, he's sweating like a paedophile in Toys R Us, but he's up there in <laughs> action, isn't he? Seriously. 
Um, climbing back down one-handed with a seed under his arm. It does seem, I don't know, as a standalone episode, that Hartnell's character is mellowing a little bit by now and is being written to do so, or sort of having his sharp edges rounded off. Yeah. He's not going to be the sort of person that beats somebody to death with a rock anymore, I don't think. <laughs> There's a really fucking nice, creepy shot of them looking into the face of Farrow, the dead scientist who invented the original pesticide. Beautiful. I'll post that on the blog because it's really nice. That's the stuff of fucking nightmares right there. It's actually very powerful. There's a few nice shots, uh, like the one of them approaching the phone, but there's also those dreadful cutaways of the cat and things like that. I think some of the poor cuts might be the fault of those two episodes being crammed together, but watching the reconstruction, I think they did the right thing, to be honest, and it's, it's actually better for it. There's actually two parallel stories going on here as well, and I think that works the best it probably probably could it sort of lets Forrester get away with being second rate mostly they don't have the budget or ability to convincingly have a direct confrontation between the two so keeping them apart I think is totally the best way to go you know there's no giant polystyrene hand that picks up Barbara or anything. Yeah. imagine how shit that would have looked you know? yeah. um, it also gives a sort of them and us two worlds yeah. dynamic and I really like that so um, interestingly my DVD was quite expensive even second hand I think because it's one of those sets that people haven't bought, then they still go for like sort of eight to ten quid secondhand. Oh. Uh, is it worth it? Yeah, actually, it probably is. The reconstruction's nice, and there's some interesting commentaries with the effects crew, uh, the makeup team, and the studio crew. That's great if you're into how the older episodes are made, which I am, uh, and how they made it to screen. There's a short doco on how they did the reconstruction, and a bunch of interviews with Verity Lambert and Caroline Ford, which I really enjoyed, actually. Uh, Ford talks a a lot about why she left and about her costume and the character and very Lambert is just like my ongoing big MILF obsession so that was nice <laughs> um, I've also turned into a bit of a DVD shelf completist so it's nice to have this one if this hadn't come up in Dirty Horse I probably wouldn't have bought it otherwise I think I've only seen it once or twice before and do you know what I probably will watch it again next time I'm in season two because I've come out of this thinking of it quite fondly and I think you do it is what it is and it's always tricky to talk about an episode when you don't really swing one way or the other but old Hartnell's sort of have a power to be I don't know strangely soothing like a quiet place historical interlude I don't know if you like <laughs> how much are you drinking I'm just being <laughs> You're getting um, so poetic. <laughs> yeah sometimes Terry that's what you need especially in today's world there's no harm in this one basically but it's not going to dazzle anybody either Tabby have a go Okay, well, overall, I thought the concept of it was interesting enough, but they just, it's kind of like you've alluded to, they never really did enough with it. The props and the sets, I did agree, were worth seeing, but the script was, I'm going to say, leaden considering mm. how they tried to use shorthand by making the giants into such well-known stereotypes the script really was somewhat heavy and labored i think i would have liked to have seen them do battle with more giant animals rather than just giant set pieces i think having all the insects killed by the dn6 it seemed like a bit of a missed opportunity in all honesty the the one time they did encounter a living creature yeah despite the clear shot problems i was obviously glad glad to see the pussycat in there but they just never did anything with it that said there was a lovely dramatic opening with the doctor mopping his brow and the others doing a, a fake strenuous door push against yes. pressure that was strong enough to shrink them to nothing to one yeah. inch they managed to push those doors closed very, very they well did done. yeah yeah about that round of applause 
there was a nice use of the worm and the ant to size the characters, but it was frustrating that they're so slow to catch on. But then I suppose that the pace of Doctor Who in those days. I love that Susan had to be the one to inform Ian of what had happened. He's still really, really not understanding and she has to explain it to him in sh- nice short words. You get a really bad feeling. You're talking about like torch going out if you as you're going down to the basement. But I got a really bad feeling as soon as Ian got into that matchbox and and there it is. Yep. He's carted off by a massive human being. Absolutely. Yeah. It's happened to us all. <laughs> I think <laughs> one gets a similar feeling when Barbara starts picking up the giant wheat, especially when she sort of comments on how it's covered in sticky stuff. Oh, it's all oh, sticky. Yeah. Here we go again. Yeah. How are you going to go blind? <laughs> it's, it's very 60s to let the feeble old man go scaling the wall instead of the young, fit woman. I mean, it's very gentlemanly of him, oh. but... <laughs> Perhaps not wholly sagacious. I don't know, the conversation between the businessman and the scientist was a bit long-winded, but then again, I guess it was a product of its time. It did do what it was meant to do and set out the store for the episode, though. It actually interested me more than I thought it was going to. I couldn't help but smile when the businessman pulled out the world's most minuscule gun as a way of threatening the poor old hat-wearing scientist. I I suppose I'm naive, but I was a bit shocked when he was murdered. But I don't know why I should have been. That's capitalism for you, isn't it? <laughs> but he talked about some good shots. I thought the shot of the horrendous oversized fly standing right behind Barbara was amazing. That scared the bejesus out. I'm not really a fan of creepy crawlies. Oh, if you like that, you're going to love green death. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Fuck, I still have nightmares. I remember that being a kid. (laughs) Well, I see. I thought that and like the props they used from the moment they evacuated the TARDIS genuinely sent my skin crawling. That shot was like something Mm. out of a horror film, even even with the experimental drum music. I'm not going to use this as my quote and nobody, I hope nobody else is, but there's a bit where Barbara, they find a big worm uh, and she's like, it's got no eyes and it's, it's not scaly and all this kind of stuff. Doctor, are you sure it isn't just sleeping? And he goes, no, no. It's quite dead. Death has its own particular posture and appearance. Yes. Yes. <laughs> what the fuck? What? Yeah. What? What? Yeah. <laughs> what the hell was he talking about? You know, the way Barbara was written, I was a bit disappointed in her for fainting. But I mean, in all frankness, I probably would have done the same in her position. The Barbara covered in insecticide storyline felt a bit strange. With it being cut down from four to three, it was drawn out so long to begin with. And then everything important and interesting was squeezed into the last 10 minutes of the episode, which... Honestly, you should see the retcon. They spend a whole five minutes walking up and down a piece of paper reading numbers out. (laughs) Thank God they cut that. I don't know. I was a tad confused as to why they thought it would be a good idea to start a damn fire of all things. I've never really encountered a problem I thought would be solved by unleashing a raging inferno into my own surroundings. Um, (laughs) It was good for showing the Doctor being everyone's favourite person in group projects, though, in as much as he stood on the (laughs) sidelines not helping but telling everyone else what to do. Come on in! Not like that! (laughs) It's fucking heavy! Leave me alone! (laughs) It's a fucking (laughs) telegraph, Paul, and I've got... (laughs) Granddaughter, not 
bit after she's no fucking help. I was quite into the telephone exchange lady and the country bumpkin policeman breaking into the mystery, even if it wasn't wholly clear to me exactly how they did it. I mean... Completely. I, I really don't think the TARDIS crew were actually needed. No. I mm. thought it could have been handled rather better and more meaningfully. It all felt a bit, oh God, the episode is ending quick, shove in a speedy fix. So it was all right. But there were just a few too many missed opportunities for my liking. So we're coming out of this average and below average, really, aren't we? And I think yeah. a lot of the things I've mentioned is because I watched all the making novels and things and really enjoyed them, not necessarily the actual episodes. Yeah. I don't understand why Barbara doesn't say anything about the insecticide. What What is the problem? Why can't she just say, hey, I think I... I touched- thought about this and I think they were on a sort of time limit to get somewhere and do something and, and she just didn't want to slow them down or something. I, I don't got, know, but it didn't got fit. got the impression she felt like a bit of a twat. Fairly yeah. silly yeah. thing to do. <laughs> We're so mean. <laughs> Aww, poor Barbara. Uh, can I toss something in before I forget? Toss away. So I mentioned Masters of Luxor. I don't know of any other opportunity for us to actually bring this up since it doesn't fit with any episode we'd review. But, so here he goes. Yeah, here it is. Right. <laughs> Go for it. So in Unearthly Child, when the TARDIS goes back in time, it deliberately does not move in space. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes straight back in time. And at the beginning of the Daleks, it simultaneously moves through time and space. But at the beginning of the Masters of Luxor, it's supposed to open with the police box flying across the surface of a planet, spaceship style. Had that been broadcast in place of the Daleks, the premise was that the TARDIS was not capable of moving through time and space simultaneously, but only one or the other at once, which would have radically altered the future of the show profoundly so you're are presupposing that the writers would even stick to that as if it were canon you they know. don't stick to fucking anything else that's canon nobody gives no. a shit they there is that. that yes okay <laughs> <laughs> fuck it okay folks i think it's time that we gave that wheel a who a little roll spin it spin it baby one oh dear you too well then tread softly gentlemen or i'll turn you into toads face of evil no i love that story tom face of evil i know it's kind of overshadowed by the others in the same season though isn't it it's not one that i go back to very often shut up it's good i love that i've always thought that face of evil you know you've got all the historicals stuff based on great horrors i've always thought that it was kind of the jekyll and hyde episode yeah yeah uh notable for being the first trip out for louise jameson as leela who's your favorite am i right t i love her uh we better do some quotes then have you got any yes the doctor don't go on with these futile questions please can't you understand can't you see ian no we can't that's just it pretty much sums up the episode doesn't it (laughs) terry you got anything Uh, oh i didn't bother i i figured i owed it it to send so (laughs) oh Oh, no that's that's true i went for well happily no harm's been done it's most puzzling oh dear barbara was i rude to you just now i'm so sorry i always forget the niceties under pressure please forgive me and barbara says there's nothing to forgive me says thank you now he was such a fucking crotchety dick last season this is clearly for me the right 
writer's just starting to temper his dickishness a bit. <laughs> and he's actually a lot less dicky in this episode. Tabby, you got anything? Whatever you do, don't look into the cat's eyes. Good advice for everybody there. <laughs> Thanks to everyone for your support, as <laughs> usual. If you get off on what we do, please give us a prop over on and uh, subscribe on Stitcher or iTunes or Spotify or whatever you kids are using this week. Tar Munchley. We have been the Dirty Hose Doctor Who podcast. Hope you are too. Say goodbye, everybody. Bye. Good night, everyone. You've been listening to the Dirty Hooers Doctor Who podcast. Follow us on iTunes or dirtyhooers.com. Facebook and Twitter at Dirty Hooers. See you next time. Oh, it's fucking mediocre shit, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was mediocre <laughs> shit of an episode. Okay. Oh, you wouldn't believe the tricks I've got for polishing this fucking bag of turds now. <laughs> awesome. I have awesome. edited seventy-five episodes of Dirty Hose now, and I can I can tell your individual breaths oh, and what you're saying by the way. That's creepy. Oh, wow. But hey, we did it.